This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. My next guest has built an extraordinary career in broadcast journalism over three decades. Maria Inahosa was one of the first Latina journalists to work in many of the newsrooms that hired her early in her career. And now she's an Emmy Award winner who hosts a national show that focuses on Latino issues, and she owns her own media company. And now Inahosa is a new author. She has written a memoir about her life and career that shines a light on the struggles of women of color and immigrants trying to make a life here in America. In Once I Was You, a memoir of love and hate in a torn America, she paints a striking picture of the ways we view, quote, outsiders, putting America's contradictions and unmet ideals on full display. Maria Inahosa, it is always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Happy New Year. Good to be with you. Yes. I love it. Yes. Thank it's, you for having me. It's always great to have you here. Great, uh, great, uh, great to hear your voice again. So let's start here. Near the beginning of your book, you recall you, your mother, and your siblings coming into America for the first time. An immigration agent tells your mom that you have a rash that looks like it might be German measles. He tells your mother that she and your siblings can come into the country, but they would have to, quote, keep you. Your mother stands up to the agent who backs down, but you say you thought your entire life that it had to be a mistake until you wrote this book and learned that there was a room full of children and babies who had been separated from their families. Talk about what would have happened to you if your mom had not stood up to that border agent. Well, that that's that's starting <laughs> getting right to it. You should have you should have been like a little trigger warning, actually, because you know, wow, even hearing you describe it, I'm like, God, that was really yes. Oh my God, and I think I think one of the hard things was about uh, about it, Stephen, is that it, it was when my mom was in her 80th decade, and I in my fifth decade, that it all kind of comes pouring out. And it was like, oh, wait, 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 what happened? Mm -hmm. You know, because this is a way in which we, the stories that we are ashamed of, that we're traumatized by, that we don't want to remember, that we really want to forget, that we can't believe happened. You know, they, we have a way of doing this, right? I mean, we're human beings and we become compartmentalized, we change the story. And so the way I had kind of come to hear the story once I heard it, which was already in my 30s, was that, you know, basically my mom this petite, you know, five-foot woman with four kids under the age of seven stands up to this immigration agent in Dallas. Um, and it was, yeah, like, I was like, well, that's so, man, what was wrong with that guy? Like, what was, he must have had a bad day. Like, what a weird fluke. What, how strange that he would do that, you know, but also not really focusing on him. I was focusing on my mom having a big mouth and, and screaming to the top of her lungs that, you know, that she was going to keep me. It was when my mom heard the the cries of the babies and the toddlers and oh the children. Oh you know, I'm trigger warning right there. We remember hearing them. It was a story broken by ProPublica. They got the audio, which, by the way, those children in those cages exist today, and they are crying right now. I mean, I don't have the tape, but I, right. they're still there, right? So please, let's realize that this hasn't It's stopped. It's amazing it's, to think of your mother so long after experiencing that listening to that report now and and just the way that it would it would strike her the way it would strike her heart 
to hear well, other children separated from their families at the border. Yeah, no, no. Um, we were in Dallas, actually, by plane with privilege and green cards. You know, my dad was a medical doctor dedicated to research at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So we were not rich, but we had privilege at that moment. And still, um, and that was that, that I think was really hard for me, uh, Stephen, when it was, you know, my mom already in her 80s, when she's like, oh, my God, this could have been me. This mm-hmm. could have been you. They, you know, they could have taken you. And that's big part of what I'm trying to say with this book, and I, I'm thinking very, very um, clearly about my experience in Detroit almost a year ago when we were together, mm-hmm. and I met people, Stephen, Mexican families, uh, so I'm talking like a hundred-year-old, century-old uh, Mexican families from Detroit and outside areas who were recalling their family members being de- uh, deported in the 1930s from Detroit. So family separation has been a part of, you know, this country's history for a long time. And it began with indigenous children being taken. And it continued with children born into slavery being taken. So we need to realize that this continues. And we are, we are all touched by it. Yes, yes. And that's a great framing, I think, for the the book generally, that uh, really what you're highlighting here really what you're calling out are those hypocrisies or those failings of America and when I say America I don't just mean the country as it exists and the government that runs it but talking about that ideal that we all I think uh, would like for America to be able to deliver on that it it doesn't come true for so many people and your story, along with so many others, is the proof that we just have so much work still to do to make this country what it claims to be. Right. And that's the whole thing, though. You know, today it happens to be, I know we're not talking politics, but, you know, I woke up pretty incensed. I've been disconnected for a couple of weeks, to be honest, just focusing on well, my good family. For you, but, yeah. You know, hearing what what just happened with these tapes being released. And, you know, I remember I was a kid during Watergate. So I remember these things. And I remember like, wait a second, like, I understand corruption in Mexico. Like, I I understood that as a little kid. But wait, then I was like, wait, 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 it's happening here. (laughs) And so I am particularly incensed on this Monday morning. Because as immigrants, we do, in fact, have this expectation about this country. Right? And, um, and, and I think all of us then, we buy into this, you know, we're the world's greatest democracy. And here's the thing. We are as long as we're all active in it. Mm. You know, that's and, and I frankly, I love I just love shouting out one, the Midwest in general, to the state of Michigan, three, specifically Detroit, <laughs> because y'all, y'all, y'all went to the polls. That is another form of democracy. It is another form of saying we are present. And that, I think, is, I mean, you and I love this, right? Because we're democracy junkies. In the end, it comes down to, oh, my God, we've had 400 and how many years of, you know, of of fighting for black lives mattering in this country? So, you know, like 402 years now, right? So at this point, we don't give up, right? That we have to tell our stories. We have to write our books. We have to be on the radio. We have to use our voices. We have to encourage people who do not feel visible 
we have to encourage them to, you know, I mean, I don't see anybody anymore. <laughs> I miss people. But whenever I was out, right now I'm in Connecticut. I'm, I'm relocated. It's my second, my third state, I guess now, Illinois, New York, and now Connecticut. And whenever I'd go to the supermarket, I'd be talking to everybody. I thought, are you going to vote? Are you going to vote? Are you going to vote? You know, and they're like, man, I'm like, yeah, you got to vote. That's what I do. That's part of living in a democracy. That is part of my role mm-hmm. as an immigrant journalist. Yes, yes. I'm talking with Maria Inahosa, Emmy Award-winning journalist, news anchor, and author of the new book, Once I Was You, A Memoir of Love and Hate in a Torn America. She is also, of course, the host of Latino USA, which you hear right here on WDET on Saturday mornings. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and uh, share your stories about the ways this country has treated immigrants and people of color who are trying to build their lives and careers in our country. Uh, What hopes or concerns do you have for the future in terms of offering opportunities for all Americans to succeed? I think that is a really critical question right now as we are just about two weeks away from a change in uh, administration in Washington that we all hope will erase some of the really, really ugly policies uh, with regard to immigration that have unfolded over the last four years. Uh, How hopeful are you that we'll get to that? How hopeful are you that things in America will be different because Joe Biden is the president rather than Donald Trump. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation uh, that way. Let's go to Lola in Dearborn. Lola, welcome to the show. Uh, Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year, Lola. Uh, thank you so much, and may you have many, many good lives of New Year's. Oh, that's very nice of you. <laughs> and so, but any, it's because, see, you're special. You're special <laughs> like me, and that's a good thing <laughs> for both of us. And so, but anyway, what I wanted to say is that no matter where you are, when you speak up, you speak it like it comes from your, well, but it's really coming from your heart, and you speak about it. And when you don't speak, you shed it down. Mm. You know how people say, well, they're quiet. No, if they like a guy, they're going to speak up. But this is the way people are. (laughs) Mostly women speak up because men, well, they're usually married to somebody and they shut up. (laughs) But but anyway, but that's the way that it is. Mm. Men have to learn that if you've got something in your heart, speak it. We need to hear it. Mm. Anyway, so mm. Stephen, I thank you so much for taking my call. <laughs> yeah. I love you guys, and take care of yourselves yes. because God loves you, and oh. he's the creator. Thank so you. he created you in his own image, <laughs> so be special. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bye-bye. Lola. That was a really wonderful That was a really <laughs> oh, wonderful point. See, that's why I love Detroit and I love the Midwest. <laughs> I mean, it's just... We just love that, and yeah. so thank you, Lola. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in the book, you spend... A lot of time, of course, talking about growing up uh, on the south side of Chicago uh, as a child and as a Mexican immigrant. Uh, How did that shape your understanding of your own racial, ethnic, and American identities? Oh, my God, it had everything to do with everything about it, like everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up um, in High Park, so some people might know it. Again, my dad was a medical doctor dedicated to research. Um, he helped to create the cochlear implant. May he rest in peace. 
Um, and we were based out of Hyde Park. And so I was crossing borders the entirety of my life. Uh, we were the only Mexican kids uh, family in our public school. Wow. And they applauded us when we walked in, by the way. They were like, oh, my God, Mexicans, yay! <laughs> Hyde Park was really into having this very international and very black community. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not perfect like any other community, but... Um, it was uh, very active in terms of civil rights and feminism, you know, and the Black Panthers and, you know, 1968 Chicago. And at the same time, I'm sorry, the D- Democratic National Convention and the protests and, you know, just growing up amidst all of that. And at the same time, going from Hyde Park to Pilsen every weekend to go shopping in El Barrio Mexicano, mm. in the Mexican Barrio. Yeah. And then every year, Stephen... Um, getting in the station wagon, loaded down with all six of us, and driving through the entire central part of the United States into Mexico. Um, and I, I actually, it, it's essential. One of the things that I'm thinking about, because I can't say it publicly yet, but let's just say there's something else brewing right now regarding Once I Was You that has to do with young people. And anyway, I'm thinking a lot about um, as I was growing up, you know, my 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 school, my Bret Hart was a, a predominantly black school. Mm. It was a, almost predominantly black, but very African-American. And when I went to private school at the University of Chicago High School, this was one of the uh, freakouts that I had that I'm really coming to terms with now. I was like, wow, I thought it was just a matter of class going from public school into a wealthy. No, no, no. It was a question of race. Yes. I was around black people all the time and suddenly I wasn't. What does that do? So it is everything about how I see myself. I guess it's no surprise that I live in Harlem. I work in Harlem. The nonprofit media company that I created is based in Harlem. And a lot of what I want to actually exalt in this book is this relationship between uh, black America and Latino America, specifically African-Americans, Mexicans, and talking more about that, I mean, the person who made me feel the first time like I belonged in this country and maybe could be a part of it <laughs> if I had a green card was um, was um, uh, was was Martin Luther King. Hmm. Um, so that that is an essential part of who I am historically in this country. You know, that's a really that's a really interesting intersection there that and I, I think as African Americans we don't often think of the role that Martin Luther King or other civil rights Af- activists who were African American and fighting for their own people the effect that they had on on other people of color for instance or 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 just other Americans that, that oh but huge yes. even but and this I think this is actually really important, and it is important to highlight that there are many young Latinos and Latinas or Arab-American, Muslim-American, however you, who have lived through, uh, the, you know, this modern iteration of the Black Lives Matter movement with their own eyes and hearts and senses. And so what are they choosing? They were, this is very important. Latino families will be choosing to stand on the side of Black Lives Mattering, than not. Yes. And we have to uplift. We have to uplift those stories because they are um, an essential part. So I thank you for recognizing that because you're right. They're they're really 
people kind of think that it's only affecting an African-American uh, population. No, no, no. The entire country is being touched by this and changed by it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Maria Inahosa. Uh, we will also get to more of your calls. Call and tell us your stories about the way this country treats immigrants and people of color trying to build life and career in America. How hopeful are you that we are headed in the right direction? How hopeful are you that January 20th may be an inflection point along that journey as Joe Biden becomes the president of the United States, taking over from Donald Trump. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook, Twitter, put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit today on 1019 WBET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. My guest is Maria Inahosa, Emmy Award-winning journalist, news anchor, and author of the new book, Once I Was You, a memoir of love and hate in a torn America. She's also the host of Latino USA, which you hear right here on WDET on Saturday mornings at 7 and Wednesday nights at 10. Uh, we're talking about the idea of America and how it plays out in terms of opportunity for those who come to this country rather than those who are born here and for people of color in general in our society. Is that getting better? Is there more opportunity now? Or are we kind of stalled and maybe moving backwards uh, as Donald Trump, uh, as the president of the United States, really tried to turn the tide, I guess, on immigration and what it means to be an immigrant in this country. As always, we want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and we will try to include you in the conversation that way. Uh, Maria, before we get to more callers, uh, I want to talk about a pretty pivotal chapter in your book called Nowhere to Hide, uh, and in that chapter, you recall two pretty horrifying events, one uh, about being sexually assaulted uh, and the other about being a victim of an armed robbery. Uh, talk about how difficult it is to write about those kinds of moments in your life and share them with share them with the world. Uh, wow. So nobody actually asked about uh, getting jumped on the beach in Mexico on New Year's in 1970. <laughs> I guess it was. I always forget what year it was, late 70s. Yeah, that was, okay. So, you know, when you set out to write a memoir, um, you and I are journalists, and so we deal in the truth. <laughs> it's just, you deal in the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started writing, and, and you start thinking about your childhood, you know, I mean, you're having to kind of, put, you, you know, I wrote an extra 100,000 words, by the way. So just to be clear, like, I really did pour my heart out because I was like, well, this is what you do. Um, and this whole issue around uh, being a Latina and, and relationship to sexuality, sex, romance, body, whatever, became something that I, I ended up, you know, kind of, well, I was like, wow, this is kind of. And so, yeah, I did, um, you know, I was 16 years old when I was raped. Um, it was, uh, I, I had not had sex up until then. It was 
It was the only time in the writing of the book when I cried. Um, and I and I wrote about it not because I was planning to, but actually, if you remember, everything that was happening because of the nomination of then um, uh, uh, Kavanaugh, uh, now Justice Kavanaugh, um, and Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, you know, um, who had been assaulted uh, by him in when she was 15. Mm. And people were like, oh, my God, no, how could you come on? Something that happens to you, come on, you're an older woman. Like, And I was like, wow, that was me. Um, and so that was the reason why I decided that um, I needed to be public about this also because many of us women are survivors of different ways. I mean, I was raped um, and I had to, in a process of therapy um, with my husband and my therapist, you know, just kind of have to accept that word and, and, and say that I'm a survivor. By the way, I'm doing great. <laughs> we'll be married 30 years this year, my mm. husband and I. So, oh. but it does mess with your head and your body. And so I wanted other women to know. And as you know, Stephen, because you're a public person like me, we have a capacity to talk about things because that's what we do. And I don't have shame. And I I think it's important for us to model um, being able to talk about different things, especially as Latinas, as Mexican women, as women, as immigrants, as women of color, as survivors. So thank you for asking. I mean, the the power of claiming that for yourself, telling that story on your own terms, I think is so critical to the the outlook that you are talking about that you have now about that. In other words, that that it doesn't it doesn't own you. You you own that. And and I think think that's a really difficult turn to make but it i mean it's it's really impressive to hear you talk about it in a way that really reflects that yeah and here's the thing because there are many survivors who are listening uh, you have to if you can do the work with a therapist i mean i was i would never have been able to get to the point of where i am now in terms of my sense of liberation and freedom by the way, I became a boxer also, so I spent a lot of time hitting his face <laughs> on the bag. You know, there was definitely listening to 1970s disco music and punching his face out on the bag. But in the therapy, you know, if you have somebody who's really good, then you can, in fact, get to the point where she was like, es que mamita, you had every right to do whatever you wanted that night. You know, you had every right to be desirous of having that moment with that person. You, you, yes. But when you realized he was going to assault you, you also had the right to say no. And then he did disrespect that. And of course, that's when all the trust breaks. But that kind of sense of like, wow, wait, so I really do it. And you know me, Stephen. I mean, I'm a smart woman, Mm -hmm. you know, but it took me all of this time to be like, no, I really did do nothing wrong. Like, really, I did nothing wrong. And you're right. I flipped it now. Um, and I'm only, but it, by the way, it's coming up because I've got to send my book in Spanish to my cousins yeah. who were there, who were there and know this person. Wow. So it doesn't stop. It's not like, oh, you tell it and then you close the chapter. It's different kinds of working it through it. Um, but I really appreciate you asking about it because people think like, oh, this is a book about being an immigrant. And I'm like, mm, it's a book about being a woman. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, again, 313 577 1019 is the number here to join the conversation. Let's go to Monica in Detroit. Monica, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say um, a couple of things. Um, Maria, you are one of my heroes. Um, I'm a black woman from Detroit. And when I uh, first heard about your radio show, 
I was so excited. <laughs> I'm an immigration attorney, and I completely agree with what you're saying about um, families are still being split apart today. I believe that black people have to stand by immigrants, especially Latino immigrants, who are some of you know the most oppressed people um, in the world. Um, and it's a we have to fight. Um, just really quick, I started my career fighting for affirmative action, mm. and I started fighting for immigrant rights. They're equally important. And um, thank you for the fight that you're making. And we just we have to be united. Mm. Monica, really, really appreciate the call and the thoughts. Uh, that's that's I mean a really wonderful sentiment, Maria. You and I have talked before about this need for more connection, more cooperation between our two cultural communities. And sometimes that's a hard thing to get going, but uh, I think Monica is a great example of uh, where it kind of shines as an example. And and thank you for taking that time so I could recuperate from totally losing it during her call because I was like, oh my God, I'm crying, I'm crying. So Monica, you just made me tear up and thankfully I didn't have to do it on live radio. That's what I'm talking about. That, because, you know, we have to understand the connections. Look, and because of the activism of the black community historically for, for 402 years, right, resisting, and at this point, we are in a conversation about mass incarceration. And because of the murder of George Floyd, we have all witnessed that. That, that puts pressure on an entire system that is about jailing and imprisoning, mostly people of color, specifically black people, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if, you, if that pressure is now on and mass incarceration is being discussed because of years of activism, who are being picked up to fill those cells now? Immigrants who are black, brown, Asian. Uh, so understand the connection. If the jails are not making money for the private and prison, are not making money for the private prison industry, how are they going to make their money? By holding, taking, detaining uh, immigrants. And the only difference between me and you, Stephen, in this case, is that because I could, don't, I don't believe it, but I could end up there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If it, if, you know, who knows if it would have <laughs> gone really south with Donald Trump, whatever. Yeah. The point is, the only difference between the people who are there and out is that we were not born in this country. And that that, that would be our, our reason to be oppressed is something, as Monica called out, that we all have to see and clearly identify because we are being denied due process, not because of our race, but because of where we were born. And on top of that, we are black, we are brown, we are Asian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you, Monica, for you just made my week. Please find me wherever you are, Monica. Find me on whatever the social media and connect with me because yeah. I want to talk to you. Oh, that's really great. Uh, thank you again, Monica, for the call. Let's quickly go to Dave in Farmington. Dave, I've only got about a minute left, but I really wanted to get you in here. Uh, so great to have the professional journalist, journalist share the, these stories. But on, on the whole, the voter suppression and the history of not giving immigrants and people of color the true freedom of speech and this country of trying to keep the people in power of, by limiting freedom of speech for others. Mm. Uh, great point, uh, Dave. Uh, Maria, uh, respond to that. 
we've got not much time left, but enough. For you yeah, no, that's what it's all about. And yeah. that's why thank you for that last call. That was beautiful. That is what it's all about. In other words, this is a democracy and a society that we create. It's not, you know, oh, the Statue of Liberty. Good. We're done. You know, oh, mm-hmm. we elected Biden. Good. We're done. No, I'm 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 hopeful because we all participated in democracy, but I'm not particularly hopeful about a Biden administration doing the mass change in terms of immigration policy Mm. and freeing the people and uniting the people. That's only going to happen because of people who are listening to this becoming active and engaged. So um, that goes back to freedom of speech, freedom to own our power, freedom to own our voice. And that's what this is all about for me. That's what 2021 is all about for me. Um, so I'm, I'm looking. But I love the fact that I started my year with you all. With us. Right. Yes. No, Thank I know. You. It's always so great when you're with us on the show. And we look forward to hopefully in 2021, you joining us again in person here in Detroit. That was so much fun. Let's I do it. really want to do that again. <laughs> Maria, thank you so much for being with us. Much love. Much love. Love you, Detroit. <laughs> Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to spend the hour talking about vaccines, why the rollout has been so slow, and how about the safety of getting your shot when it's available. This is 1019 WDET, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.